If you like listening to my conversations with interesting people, you'll love listening to them or watching them on Nebula, the creator-owned streaming service where you can get access to these interviews early and ad-free, as well as bonus episodes from my YouTube channel and exclusive series you can't find anywhere else. Sign up for Nebula by clicking the link in the description or go to nebula.tv slash conversations with Joe to support the podcast and help promote content that matters. Hi, and welcome to a whole new thing on this channel, something the Monty Python guys might have called completely different. Yesterday I released a video that talked about traveling to Mars and it featured clips from an interview that I did with Andy Weir, the author of The Martian and Artemis. And today I'm releasing the entire hour and a half video for you guys to enjoy. And we cover all kinds of topics, we go down multiple rabbit holes, we, nothing was off the table. Obviously we covered a lot of the Mars stuff that was shared in yesterday's video, but I wanted this to be more of a conversation uh, for multiple reasons. One reason is that I don't have a lot of experience interviewing people and I kind of wanted to just take that pressure off myself. And the other was that I was just really stoked to be, you know, meeting the guy and hanging out with him. I just wanted to have a fun conversation with him. Plus I've never really done the long form, you know, Joe Rogan style interviews before and I just thought, you know, those are pretty popular. It might be kind of fun to do. But anyway, a big thanks to Andy for his time. I really enjoyed getting to do this. And I also want to thank anybody who has supported this channel in any way, shape, or form and has helped it get to this point where I get to do cool stuff like this. I just, I don't know whose life I'm living anymore. Uh, but if this is something that you enjoy, if you like this and you want to see more of it, please do let me know. There's a lot of really cool people that I would love to interview. So anyway, this is a very long video. I hope you enjoy it. Go grab a coffee and a snack and sit back and enjoy my conversation with Andy Weir. Andy Weir! Joe Scott! That's me! That's you. And that's you. Me? We're so good at this. Yeah. Uh, for, I thought I would start by, for anybody who's watching or listening, explaining how the hell this happened. Um, <laughs> it was about a year ago or so when you, when you tweeted at me, right? Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, I was, I was binging. It was when I first found your channels and I was binging through all your videos. Uh. And I saw, I was like, oh wait, how long is a Martian a copy of the Martian been in the background on those shelves, and so I went back through a few, and I was like, "Oh, I see." And then later, it was gone. But Ar <laughs> Artemis is up there now. But right? Artemis is up there now. So, but, well, okay. So here, here was from my end. Here's how that went, right? So I'm at my computer. I'm editing. I'm always editing and writing and stuff. So I'm, I'm doing the thing, and uh, so it was, I mean, it was a while back. So the channel has grown since then. But I was already at the point where I was getting random stuff from Twitter and whatnot, you know. So a little notification came up. And I didn't even look at the name. It just said, oh, I've been binge watching Answers with Joe and uh, the Martian's on the, on the thing. That's cool. And I'm like, oh, the guy likes the Martian. That makes sense. <laughs> you know, I'll keep doing my thing. And I, and I was like, well, you know, in my head, I'm like, well, of course, if they like my channel, they probably like the Martian, too. So, uh, <laughs> and then, like, the subconscious part of my brain that actually did read your name, <laughs> like, slowly caught up with the rest of it. And the first thought I had, I'm not kidding, was... Oh, he's got the same name as the writer. <laughs> Maybe that's why he likes that book, because he got the same name as the writer. And then, like, that other part of my brain that's like, idiot, kicked in. And I was like, wait. And then I looked, and I was going, what? <laughs> it took me quite a while to, like, come to terms with the fact that you had actually tweeted at me. Uh, but you, so got, you got there. I got there. Um, but it's just like the channel getting to this point where somebody like you or somebody out there, you know, like I've gotten now to where like if I talk about somebody, I can be assured they're going to see it. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. I mean, I'm, I'm not a generally uh, conflict kind of guy anyway, but it definitely makes me like kind of tone things down a little bit because 
somebody could see it. But but I was thinking like you've probably gone through that yourself at some point because because the Martian was like on your website for a while. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, it was. I, you know, I I can't remember. So basically, originally I, I posted The Martian to my website, right. like a chapter at a time. Serialized. Serialized, yeah. yeah. It was just, uh, I had about 3,000 regular uh, readers, uh, subscribers to my uh, little blog uh, that I'd accumulated over 10 years. So it's not not, oh, an, okay. not an impressive feat, right? And uh, <laughs> so, Sticking with a blog for 10 years is a pretty impressive feat. Well, thing yeah. I mean, well, they, these are the people who are on my mailing list. That's all yeah. I know for sure. Yeah. I don't know if they were throwing away the mails or what. But anyway, so I was posting the Martian a chapter at a time, and I would get emails and stuff like that. It, it, yeah. The feedback really helped me finish it. But I didn't like really hear about it from uh, anyone famous until after it came out as a book. Oh, okay. Uh, but that was cool. I, I still remember the first time I ever saw it mentioned in the wild. Uh, you know, like when I'm not like out googling my own name and right. stuff like that. And it <laughs> obsessively, was like, <laughs> right? And it was like I was just watching a video, uh, something. It was a uh, uh, Jason Alexander, you know, from like George from yeah. Seinfeld. Um, he was being interviewed, and someone said, "You know, what's a book you've read recently?" He's like, "Oh, I read this book called The Martian. I forget the author's name, but it's pretty good." <laughs> and I'm like, "I'll and take you're it." Like, uh, okay, I'll take it. <laughs> well, so uh, yeah, exactly. But one thing that gets me about the way you serialized your um, releasing the book was like you're talking about as a email list and subscribers to a blog like who does that anymore well you know nobody that was, that was, that was kind of pre-social media a bit wasn't a it? little bit it was 2009 is when i started writing it okay so it was just kind of there i mean you know facebook was there twitter was there they weren't i don't actually i don't even know exactly when either of those services started yeah. or exactly what, what date when, when but, they took over <clears throat> yeah but um they weren't nearly as popular and omnipresent as right. they are now yeah. and like at the time i think like I was posting stuff to like Live Journal, right? Stuff I was one of them. <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, that's that's uh, kind of a sign of the times. Since. Yeah, I was thinking about. Um, have you ever heard of a guy named Zay Frank? No, I talk sorry. about him all the time. Uh, What's your channel all the time? I should have heard about him. Then. Well, I don't talk about on the channel, but like out talking oh, about okay. YouTube stuff. Okay. Um, he was like the first. He was a YouTuber before YouTube was a thing. Okay, like he did this back in two thousand four or five, like that. Um, but he had a thing. It was called the show with Zay Frank. His name is like Jose, so he just went by Zay. But anyway, um, but yeah, it was. He put out a, a video on his website every day for a year. Every day, wow. Every day, yeah. It was a daily vlogger, mm. but like there were everybody who does a vlog now, including myself, is just doing Zay Frank. Like he was the first person to do it. But anyway, the point is, like this was before. He was like on Twitter or Facebook or anything like that. Like it was an RSS feed yes. that you would go to at the beginning of the day when you get to work and you would search and stuff like that. And I, w I also had an RSS feed for Martian updates. Oh, yeah, of course, <laughs> of course. But another thing about serializing it and releasing it that way was you kind of sort of crowdfunded the research a bit? A little bit. A little bit, um, or at least getting feedback um, from people. Well, well I, I like to think it, it was mostly like having 3,000 fact checkers because right. um, I'd accumulated my readers over um, many years by posting. I'd made web comics and short fiction mm. and stuff like that. And it was all just dorky stuff, you know, just nerdy <laughs> kind of stuff. Right. And um, uh, so my, the, we're talking about my 3,000 fans are all like, dorks and so there's nothing <laughs> there's nothing a dork likes more than like finding an error right in, in a book or a movie or a story or whatever i know nothing and about that you know no, that you you haven't experienced this joe no. but um <laughs> people online are very quick to correct you when you're wrong mm. um 
And uh, so I, it was kind of cool. I post a chapter, and then if there was any scientific inaccuracy at all, a lot of people would tell me about it. Yeah. Somehow that, that um, tale got kind of morphed a bit in the public eye of being like, oh, The Martian was crowd was written crowd by crowdsourcing oh, okay. or it's like some gigantic game of like you know um i don't know uh but but it, it, what's the word uh where you uh, where you're making up a story as as you go from person mad libs no uh, telephone no what's it called <laughs> it's a, what is the game the game where, where you where you're like they say that the Mary Shelley's Frankenstein started out as one of these games where you go oh. around from person to person, each person tells a chunk of a story, then the uh, next person, I don't know you're making up the, the stories you're going along. I know what you're talking about. Though. Anyway, I'm glad we had that diversion. It, it wasn't that. It wasn't that. Yeah. Well, so going back to what I was saying, I, was thinking about, like, I, I didn't think that you like, crowdfunded the narrative or anything like <laughs> right. that. But, but like the research and just the fact checkers, I guess, is a better way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that was uh, that was pretty cool. A little annoying at times, but <laughs> what happened was, you know, as I was writing it, I was writing it for them. I had sure. no idea it would have any mainstream appeal. I didn't imagine somebody would want to read a book that's basically like a couple of hundred algebra problems, like word problems, <laughs> like, and and that's basically what it is, yeah. right? I mean, it's 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 just one step away from being a textbook. <laughs> right? And that's that's what's fascinating to me is like that's what everybody loves about the book. And I I still don't I still don't know what I did right. I really don't. Like, I, I was That's a great it. feeling. In yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Imposter syndrome. Oh, I don't know what that's like. <clears throat> yeah. Well, what was it? Uh, Andy Weir. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, As I'm sitting here in your home, well, somehow. I, I mean, it, it's like, I, you know, give a man a book, you entertain him for a night. Teach a man to write, you give him crippling self-doubt for life. Yeah, that's yeah. true. It's, uh, it, uh, yeah, I mean, and, you know, I had another book that came out after the margin, Artemis, which mm-hmm. is on your shelf right now yeah. as we're recording this. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was just, the entire time I was writing it, I was just full of, like, dread and, like, insecurity. <laughs> oh, well, you got, a, you got a lot to live up to this time. You, were, you didn't have that before, really. What, what, when, you, when you were writing The Martian, you didn't have, like, a right. Martian in front exactly. of that. Exactly, right. That everybody expects something from Right, you. so they're like, okay, you did The Martian. That was massive international bestseller, yeah. translated into 50 languages, made into a movie, nominated for seven Oscars. So, so tell us about your second book. Yeah. And it's no, like, you know, I would love to hear about that. Like, <laughs> I'm not, was, how difficult was that? How scary very, was that? Uh, very and very. Um, yeah. They basically, like, um, so it was, it was even worse than that. After The Martian, I had been uh, working on, like, in the tail end of The Martian, I had also been working on this other project called Jack. Yeah, um, I heard you talk about it. Yeah. yeah. And Jack was a soft sci-fi. It had aliens, faster than light travel, telepathy, right. all sorts of stuff. And I... All, I, the, all the cheating. All the cheating. Every cheating. <laughs> I mean, I came up with my own cool physics for how faster than light could sure. work, but there's cheating. Yeah. Right. Um, but... Sure, okay, and I was working on that, and I'm like, oh, this is it, this is my magnum opus, this is my epic. Mm. You know, it's this huge setting, and I've got all, yeah, all the world buildings all set up, mm. and i got these aliens, ah, oh, it's going to be so awesome. And I worked on that, and so I, I pitched it to the uh, publisher, Random House, mm. and they're like, sure, whatever, yeah, just write us another thing, we don't care. That's, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but they were, <laughs> they were of a mind to just let me do whatever I wanted sure, after yeah. the Martian. Yeah. <clears throat> and they liked the idea, it seemed solid. And I worked on it for about a year. And I got about 70,000 words in. Uh, for reference, The Martian is 100,000 words, 105. Yeah. And, um, you know, so after a year and 70,000 words, I looked at it one day and I was like, oh, dear, this sucks. It's just not working. It sucks. Yeah. It's not good. And I called my editor and said, like, look, I, I, I just, 
Jacques isn't working. I, I 70,000 words in, I'm still in the first act. This is going to be some gigantic tome that nobody's going to want to read. And so I, I just, I, I, can I hit the big red reset button, write a completely different book instead, and uh, you guys give me like another year on my, on my deadline? And he said, yeah, sure, no problem. Because they had also been reading the chapters of Jack as I wrote them. So they also knew it sucked. So <laughs> like they've were... been wanting to find a way to tell you this. Yeah. Oh, and that hurt. Yeah. Oh, God, that hurt. Yeah. It was just like a year of work that I just went, I put on a back burner. Now I, I am going to use it for parts. There are a lot of really good right. elements in there that I can use. but Cannibalize it. Yeah. So do you think if The Martian hadn't happened, you would have been more comfortable releasing it? Or was it just uh, that? Jack, you mean? Yeah. Was no. it just that level of not working that even if yes. you hadn't already? Oh, okay. Correct. If I, if I had written Jack first, I probably would have just abandoned the project, you mm -hmm. know. Uh, but knowing that there are like millions of people sitting around waiting for my next book was, uh, you know, I'm like, okay, well, I got to do something. And so I, well, you, as a writer, you're always cheating on your current book. You're, you, yeah. you, you, you've done a lot of writing yourself, so I'm sure you know. It's like you're working on this project, but you're thinking about that project, right? Mm -hmm. And so I had a couple of other ideas for, um, for what my next book could be after Jacques. And then uh, Artemis was the one that ultimately won yeah. out. And you kind of have to follow that, I feel like. You have to, you have to follow what is really cursing through your veins at the yeah. moment and, and you know, feed yeah. that a little but, bit. But boy, that hurt. And, and also, even then, once I committed to Artemis, I'm like, okay, this is going much better. This is a, mm -hmm. a coherent narrative with a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it's a, it's a, it's a story. It's, it's, it's solid. But even then, writing it, I was like, still terrified. And I knew that yeah. like, even if I did a good job, like, it wasn't going to live up to like, The Martian. It wasn't, it wasn't going to be that level of success. So I knew no matter what, I almost certainly was going to be taking a step down. Mm -hmm. So I just tried to set my expectations reasonably. I tried to say, like, okay, um, you know, if people say, if, if the outcome is people say, like, oh, Andy Weir's other book, Artemis, it's not as good as The Martian, but it's good, then, I, then, I'm, then I'm happy. You're kind of okay with that. And that's pretty much what happened. You know, it got onto the bestsellers list. It sold pretty well. People like yeah. it. They're theoretically making a movie out of it. So we'll see. <laughs> Theoretically. Well, um, I was going to ask about that. Yeah, sure. You, 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 uh, you keyed it up pretty well there. Okay. Keyed it up? Is that? Keyed oh, it up? I keyed think. it up. Thank you. Keyed it up? Yes. Uh, so Fox bought the film right. rights to Artemis, and it was nice because they bought them, not option. Bought. Oh, okay. So they already gave me the money. It's up to them to whether or not okay. they want to make a movie. So yeah. I'm, I'm happy with that. Um, they've got uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller yeah. uh, set to direct. and They did uh, the Lego movie? They did the Lego movie. Yeah. They did uh, um, uh, the Spider-Man um, Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, they yeah, did do that them. one? Yeah. Oh, that was fantastic. It was. Yeah. And uh, the 21 Jump Street movies. And if you go so way, it's in good hands. It's in really good yeah. hands. And if you go way back in time, they did this TV show that I loved when I, uh, you know, long ago. I loved, and most people haven't heard of, called Clone High. It was a oh. cartoon. It was okay. great. I was like... Ugh. I, when I met them, I'm like, yeah, yeah, you guys did the Lego movie and uh, Spider-Verse. You did a clone. Hi, it was so cool. And they're like, thanks. <laughs> okay, so I had, I, just sharing stories, I had sort of a, a, an experience like that. There's a guy named Mark Johnson who is a producer. That sounds like a made-up name. It sounds Doesn't like it? an alias. Yeah, it's just too good. It's like what you write in the hotel ledger when you're yeah. having an affair. I'm uh, Mark Johnson. <laughs> but no, he, uh, he produced Breaking Bad. Oh, cool. So I was at the Austin Film Festival uh, with a script that I had written and kind of placed there. But uh, thank you. Well done. Uh, well done. Yeah. Good job. Oh, I you placed you there. I, yeah, I, sorry. Yeah. 
I didn't catch that you were talking about like having ranked well. I thought you meant I placed it there. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't catch that you were bragging on yourself. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, I was there. And uh, Breaking Bad had just finished. And he was up there on a panel. It wasn't about Breaking Bad, but he was there. <laughs> Um, and so I'm just sitting there and I get on my phone, IMDb, you know, and I start looking up his filmography and I mean, oh my God, like all the way back to like Overboard with Goldie Hawn. Oh, and, yeah, I mean, Overboard. way back. It just kept going. I'm like, what? And one of them was Galaxy Quest. Oh, Galaxy yes. Quest. Yeah, he produced Galaxy Quest. So afterwards there, he gets up and everybody's coming up, shaking hands, talking, asking questions and stuff. And of course, everybody was asking about Breaking Bad because mm-hmm. it had like literally just finished and it was like all anybody was talking about. Uh, but I went up there to him and I was like, I know everybody's asking me about Breaking Bad, but I just want you to know I think that Galaxy Quest is the you know most underrated film of all time. <laughs> and he like slapped his knee, did that whole thing. He was like, he was like, seriously, in all my years there are maybe five scripts that came up across my desk that I didn't have to make any changes to, and that's one of them. That's so awesome. He said it was perfect from day one. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I felt I felt like a hero because he was like, oh yeah, I love Galaxy Quest. <laughs> well, you probably like the Orville then. I do. Are they are they still to, working on yep, that? Yeah, they're making the next season now. Okay. I, mean, I don't have any insider information. Just <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> so I've heard people. You know, uh, it's funny. I I don't know if you get this, but people just like once you're in and in, 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 so everybody just assumes you know literally everyone. Right. Yeah, it's like it's like you know you're you're a YouTube celebrity. So people do people go like, oh, yeah. hey man, when's that uh, when's that uh, you, you know um, primitive technology guy going to make another right. video? I assume you know him. <laughs> Or you know Logan Paul? I get that one a lot. I'm like, I don't even watch Logan Paul. I just, I just know who he is. Uh, but no, yeah, I love the Orville. And uh, I guess they like take a year off or something. Are they, were they switching? Are I they think, going on to Hulu or something? Yeah, or? they're they're moving to a new provider. I think Hulu. They're moving to some yeah. sort of streaming service, which could be really cool because then they can swear. And you know, oh, Seth MacFarlane, yeah. when you let him swear, can be actually <laughs> probably pretty funny. You know, I don't know. I almost feel like having those constraints makes you get more creative. Maybe sometimes. Maybe, uh, but no, I've, I like. Yeah, I'm glad yeah. you said the Orville because I always felt like that. Uh, uh, it's it's better than it has any right to be. Yeah, it is. You know? Well, for a while they were kind of trying to figure out whether or not they're going to be a comedy or a Star Trek or both or a little bit, and they just said like, "Oh, screw it. We're just going to be Star Trek, and we're going to do Star Trek better than Star Trek." Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, but I, I actually I really like Discovery too. So I never did watch any of that. Oh well, because it was on that CBS All Access thing, and I'm yeah, I, I I'm that. still in the mindset that I'm broke. I still oh don't. okay, <laughs> I'm not gonna pay for that. I've, I get, I've got my YouTube's over here. Well, it, it, it used to be like the only streamer that mattered with Netflix. And then it was like, okay, well, there's also Amazon. But you kind of get that with Amazon yeah. Prime anyway, so that's not a big deal. And now there's like the CBS All Access, which I also have. But after a while, it's gonna you have to dust off the old pirate hat. And <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's there now, I think. I'm hearing a lot of people talking about that. Mm-hmm. Like, like there's, it's become so diluted or saturated, I guess. Yeah. That, uh, it's yeah, like, everybody's like, oh, i got to pay for everything now. And yeah, well, it's I, just easier when it's all in one place. Yeah, and and it's now like, it's like right back to cable days, basically. Right, but even worse, because like cable, at least you paid one provider. True, yeah. Yeah, I like to pay one pro- I don't. I don't mind paying for the content I watch, but I don't want to buy a bunch of channels just so you can watch like one program on each it's just yeah nah. yeah I, I i yeah everybody's like back to pirating yeah more or less torrenting uh i did not say anything to you about this subject but i've always wanted to talk to you about it okay um the egg oh okay yeah um because i actually did read that before the martian oh cool and um and so it, in my head i was like that's the same guy yeah, I How did the same that. guy do such a technical, you know, book, and then this like philosophical, spiritual thing over here? Yeah, uh, I get asked that exact question 
frequently. Oh, I thought like, I was being clever. Okay. Well, you are clever. You are clever. <laughs> um, and uh, the best, well, first off, just for those of you viewing at home, I do not believe the egg is true. I want to make that <laughs> do you, clear. Do you get that a lot? A lot. Oh, God. Like, I get a lot of people, oh, I think you're right. I think you found the secret. I'm like, uh, no, I haven't. It's a story that I wrote. You're my guru now. No, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> people are like, yeah. people also jokingly say, hey, you could be the next L. Ron Hubbard. And I'm like, Pass. Wow. <laughs> pass. Well, you need a tax dodge. You're, uh, yeah, you got that option. Yeah, yeah, no, pass. I'm just saying you got the option. Pass, pass, pass. pass. Just, uh, <laughs> never, yeah, no. Um, but, uh, but no, I'd, I'd love to hear like how that concept came about yeah, and how you chose well, to tell it, it the way you did and all that. It is actually very much in line with what I like to do, which mm -hmm. is, um, uh, you know, science and in, in the philosophy, the way I approached it, are both the, kind of the same thing. There's a set of rules and you try to come up with a way to make them all work together. Right. So in the case of the egg, it started off because I said like, I wanna come up with a, an afterlife that is like fair. You know, this idea of you go to heaven or hell based on some morals that like, but this society and that society have completely different morals. So who's right, there can't be an absolute morality or can there or whatever. And I'm like, and I'm not trying to actually answer these questions. I'm just trying to come up with a fictional solution construct. to it yeah right i'm not trying to you know tell anybody the meaning of life i'm just trying to come up with some sort of construct yeah. so i wanted to come up with a system where it turns out life is fair mm -hmm. like life actually is fair mm -hmm. and the way i came up with that bit by bit was eventually getting to the point where you everything that's ever been done to you was done to you by you so that is an inherently fair system you know, <laughs> that you know what? That's super interesting. I wouldn't have thought that you got there from that. Yeah, that's that's what I started with. I was like, how, how, how do you like I was coming up with, let's say you die and now you have to pay for your sins, but you should also be like rewarded for your good deeds in mm -hmm. some way. And you're like, how does that how does that come out to be equals zero at the end? Right. How do you come yeah, out yeah. exactly perfectly fair? Uh -huh. And I was like, at first I was thinking, well, you will suffer the emotional or physical pain that you inflicted or you'll you will you will uh, experience the emotional joy or happiness that you caused and i'm like but where does that happen if i'm a soldier in a war and i shoot a guy and that guy suffers a lot how much of that is my fault and how much of it is the president's fault and how much mm -hmm. it, and i start to get into all these weird you know oh, down it the just get hole. down the rabbit hole exactly <laughs> and so finally i just said like i want i want to look at this like physics how, how, how Somewhere there has to be some overarching system where there's an invariant. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that, that's kind of what I came up with. That's super interesting. Thanks. But I, I, uh, I can see why people gravitate toward it in a religious <coughs> way. Um, oh, we're, 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 oh, that's a total woo-woo. <laughs> yeah, you, you missed your... This, we're way past that. <laughs> we're way past this. Uh, I'm going to have to put the effect on there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but because, like... Um, I don't want to get too like on the couch or anything, but you know, I've I've, I've spent some time in therapy, and I think it's a good thing. You know, oh, I, I think mental I, health is every week uh, for me. I do. Uh, we, we could, if you don't mind, an aside, we could talk no. about mental health. I I'm actually a big proponent, awesome, of uh, mental health awareness and stuff like that. Um, so I don't know if you know this. I'm very open about it. I I have like a, a chronic anxiety problem. Okay. Like I I take uh, medication for it. Uh -huh. And stuff like and then, that. And then you had trouble flying. That's yeah, well, trouble flying, that's a, that's a phobia, okay? But, like, I've had, like, my whole life just, like, just, like, really kind of crippling anxiety. Okay. And I had come to a point where I felt like, like, I'm just, this is just what I am. I'm just sort of this broken thing. Mm. And uh, the thing I try to tell people 
is that, well, eventually, how do I, uh, I'll go back a few steps. I would go sure. to therapists and stuff like that, and it would help a little, but I saw this, you know, this, mm. this clinching, like, fear and anxiety all the time. And um, generally in the 90s and early 2000s, you know, people, there were lots of things to do for depression. Mm. They were starting to have come up with, pharma, you know, pharmacological solutions <laughs> or, or ameliorations. To, I'm really pulling out all the words. Say, no, like that's an easier word. That's an easier word than pharmacological. <laughs> Maybe fewer consonants. Possibly, um, but uh, there were a lot of treatments for depression. But for, for anxiety, it was generally like breathing exercises or something like that. And, and so mm. I, I felt like it was hopeless. But eventually, like I, I took another stab at it, and they said, "Well, let's put you on some of these antidepressants." Depression and anxiety are two sides of the same coin. They're the same kind of malfunction in your brain and it really helped a lot uh put me on an anti uh, antidepressant i wasn't having problems with depression but it really got my anxiety under control okay. and it's not like you wake up the next morning and you're like golly gee everything's better slowly over mm -hmm. time you just notice that the things that used to really get you super tense only get you a little tense that's it and it's so i just i guess the message i, I like to say when talking about mental health awareness is just be aware that Having, having a mental health issue, whether it's major or even minor, if you're having you know, sad times, depression or anxiety or whatever, it is a medical issue that can be treated. Mm -hmm. And it, it might not even be pills. You might just need therapy. But it is, it, it, you, you have to think of it as being like you broke your leg. you yeah. know, yeah. And it can heal with the correct treatment. And uh, just like in, in, you know, in my case, for instance, where I take, where I take meds, um, uh, just like breaking your leg, the meds are kind of like the cast, but then the therapy is like the physical therapy. You right, got to do both. Yeah, yeah and yeah. so I, that's a good uh, way of putting it. I like that. You had mentioned that you uh, that you done some therapy. I do therapy every week uh, over Skype with my therapist. So when I'm traveling or whatever, oh, okay, I yeah, still yeah. I still do it every week. I I'm glad that there's not the stigma that there used to be around that. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you what, my my view on therapy is completely flipped 180 when i was younger and dumber i was i was a lot i was like well sure you go to the doctor and only the doctor can tell you when you're fixed or you're never fixed because they're just going to keep charging you money you know and then I, I i flipped to it being more like no it's like going to the gym kind of it's, yeah it's it's, yeah. it's you're working out your your brain mu muscle no <laughs> your brain parts you yeah know? but it but it's an ongoing thing it's not a we fixed you now necessarily you're, i mean there yeah. are certain conditions that i'm sure you know it's kind of more like that where but. if it's some acute problem like yeah of, of a fear of bricks or something right but, yeah, you know. yeah yeah but i mean like well where i was going with that was um a big part of it for me was kind of learning to just kind of let other people do their thing and um just because somebody likes a thing that I don't like doesn't necessarily mean they're wrong. It's a very low-level version of it. But, but basically just the idea that um, everybody's fighting a battle that you don't know about. Right. You know? Yeah. It, it's about compassion. You know? Like just instead of just... Sonder. That's that word. Oh, that is that word. That is that word. Yes. Sonder. Very good. Is that the... Uh, not that the is... Urban Dictionary, but the... Oh, it's... What's the word? <clears throat> what's the name of that thing? There, there's, there's like an online compendium of words like that. Oh, I don't know. I, I, it's a I don't great name too, and it's killing me that I can't think of it. Nah, you'll anyway. edit it in later. It'll be you'll they'll just be you'll just have the yeah. shot of you going oh oh, and underneath <laughs> the word will be like right there. Joe doesn't know that, <laughs> or we can cut to some viewer <laughs> like it's this, you idiot, <laughs> yeah. but screaming um, in their car. Yes. Sonder the realization that everyone else yeah. has a huge, complex personal inner life as and their big own as battles yours. as big as yours. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Um, but that helped me out a lot to kind of get get there and, and like not get so not take things personally. Mm. If somebody at me a little bit, it's like you know what? I don't know what kind of day that guy had. Right. You know, I, I don't. His wife may have just left him. He may have just had to put his dog down or something. You know. So yeah. you never know. Um, but I've, I've I've really flipped to the other side that that mental health is more important than physical health because it's generational. Oh, good point. Yeah, you know, they like pass it on to your yeah. Kid. I mean, your physical health. When you get down to the point that you need somebody else to take care of you, then there's that that impacts somebody else's life. But your mm. mental health impacts everybody around you. Mm. It impacts generationally your kids, your grandkids. Like there's there's stuff mm. I carry around that I got from my mom that was sort of transmutated from something that she got from her mom. You know, that I've seen. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So uh, anyway, we that was a bit get, of a tangent. I mean, but... we, we we all get our like. Nobody's perfect, so nobody's kids are going to be perfect, right? So we're all gonna mm. we're all gonna have um, we're, we're we're all gonna bring some of our parents' problems yeah. into our into our own persona with us. But I guess the idea is just to, you know, there's no such thing as perfection. We'll never get there. So I guess the best you can hope for is to have new unique flaws. <laughs> something new that nobody's something, ever seen before. Something different. Neither my yeah. father nor my mother has this problem. Yeah. I'm broken in a new way. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> well, so that kind of goes back to the whole egg thing. Like, I can understand why somebody would get super into it in a, in a spiritual way because, like, um, how would you, if, what if it was real? Like, how would you treat everybody in the world if you knew that they were all you deep down inside? So, you know, what's, so about the egg, um, I, I wrote it, the whole story start to finish in 40 minutes, like one evening, just on a lark. Posted it to live journal. No, no changes after that. Uh, like one no, editing pass. Yeah. There's still a there's a there's a spelling error in there. That sounds like that like I've just some, never. The spirit just got in you, man. Yeah, that's what and happened. It just man. came flowing out. That's what happened. Yeah, man. <laughs> um, something came flowing out. <laughs> no, um, but I just wrote it. I thought it'd be cool, and I was done with it. But it got really unexpected to be very popular. Right? Yeah. I posted around and around and around. I'm like, okay, cool. And the Kurzgesagt thing that they just the yes, yeah. Actually, I was kind of mad when I saw that because I wanted yeah. I was going to talk to you about that, and then like, mm. boom, they do this animation. I'm like, son of a. <laughs> now you're gonna look like a poser. Yeah, uh, but yeah, so wait. go watch the Kurzgesagt video. It's very good. Animation. It's very good. It's yeah. very good. What is it like? when uh, you come up with this thing and it's just a thing you came up with in 40 minutes and now some people are like, it's my religion. Yeah. Or it should be a religion. There should not be a religion. I (laughs) (laughs) Well, first off, if your own prophet tells you it's not true, then you should start by... (laughs) Um, You're a false prophet. Yeah. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Because I'm not saying this is true. (laughs) Prophets die. They all die. They die so badly. Oh, that's a good point. Um, Uh... You know, I have thought in the past, what would it be like if, um, not not realistically, but just as a thought experiment, what if what if like the egg were a real religion? What if Ovism were a thing? <laughs> <laughs> and and so there's like you know Christianity and Judaism and Ovism and whatever. And I realized pretty quickly uh, it would be horrible. Um, okay. It's actually very easy to use the philosophy of the egg as an excuse to just really be awful to people. Because um, there's always a good excuse for that. There's always, people yeah. will always find a reason. Yeah. And, you know, I think the first thing that happens is people say, like, well, I'm clearly a more advanced version of, of our one soul than you. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I, I definitely am an older version. You're an earlier revision, and so it's, I'm, I'm better than you. And then also you'd so say, it's, like... So it's almost a new, um, we are the chosen ones. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's like we are the elder souls. 
and the, the leaders of the, the your society, the noblemen, are like, well, they're the older souls. It's funny. It's funny that the terminology just <clears throat> make, it, it writes itself. It writes itself. Elder soul. Yeah. 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 Oh, he's an elder soul. Yeah. 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 And then the people in the village on the other side of the valley, they're obviously way earlier in the sequence of life. So killing them off is really good for everyone because they're going down the wrong path morality wise. And they're going to be reincarnated anyway. And no, we're, I mean, so we're there's, all, there, there's almost a less value to human yeah. life because, you know, it's. Whatever. And, and what, I mean, I'm, I'm doing myself a favor here. Yeah. I'm, I get, you know, this is, I mean, you can't say I'm doing anything wrong. That's me over there, you know? So. Mm. And so it, it, it could be conceivably really badly abused, but you know any philosophy can be abused. When I found out there were extremist Buddhists, <laughs> yeah, that that are like yeah, warring no, and yeah, you know, I was just like, yeah. okay, okay, anything. <laughs> uh, it might just be that humans are crap. The, 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 but, the, yeah, <laughs> I, but I try not to go too far down that that thought process. I really do. I really do have sort of a rosy, almost Pollyanna opinion of humanity. I honestly think that we are a really good people, and that. We have an inherent instinct to cooperate, and that uh, that's one of our main evolutionary advantages. Mm -hmm. And uh, the reason people being jerks is always in the news is because it's newsworthy when people are jerks. When people aren't, when okay. people cooperate, it's not notable because yeah. that's a default behavior. Yeah. If somebody's you know injured lying out on the street and you call an ambulance, that's expected. Right. If you don't, then you're a jerk, and that's weird, right? Yeah. I remember for a while when I was a kid, there was a, a news, let's call it news, program that was called Good News. Oh. They were like, the, the news is so negative, and we want to put something positive in the world, and it lasted like a month. Yeah, right. You know, like nobody wanted to see it, nobody, because there's nothing noteworthy about somebody doing something well. Well, there, there is, I mean, there are, <laughs> there are cases where people do exceptionally good things. Okay, yeah. But then there's, I mean, the day-to-day -day good deeds that humans do are just seen as yeah. expected and ordinary. And I think that really speaks more to how kind of cool we are as a species, that it is presumed that you're going to do the right thing. And most people do most of the time. Yeah, that's a good point. And I imagine somebody that is an optimist would be somebody who thinks we are going to go to Mars someday uh, and solve all the problems of Mars. Speaking of segues. Oh, my God. I'm so good at this. Uh, well, no, so just to jump into that. So that was, that was like a big reason why we were going to set up this interview. Was I did a few weeks ago now. I guess by the time this comes out, it'll be about a month or so. But I did a video on why it would be impossible. It could be impossible for us to survive going to Mars. Right. Which was more of a clickbait title, really. <laughs> when I, when I'm really. What I'm really saying is there's some real challenges to going there that we still haven't quite worked through. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe I'm wrong. But, but uh, I, even in the video, I said... You know, maybe I could do a follow-up video about, uh, you know, about why we could do this or the solutions that are being worked on. And so, of course, I thought of you. Oh. I, well, I thought about, like, you know, it'd be cool to do an interview with somebody who knows what they're talking about, you know. But um, they weren't available. So. No, they weren't available. Right, so, so yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. So I'm like, well, that guy <laughs> tweeted at me a while back, and it was really him, not just some guy with the same name. Uh, so that's why I reached out to you, and, and that's what kind of the whole point of doing this. So um, if you would like... Uh, I would like to kind of go through some of the points that I made in the video and kind of hear your more optimistic <laughs> take on it in, in ways that you think that we could actually get past those. Yeah, sure. I okay. mean, of course, I watched that video and I was like, grumble, grumble, here and there. No, I mean, I'll, 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 yeah, give, me your, give me your thoughts on the video. Um, I mean, is it, <laughs> no, no, no. I, the video is great and it, and it points out, it really does lay out um, okay. most of the like, significant problems that people would have in going to Mars. Um, uh, there are a couple of points where I think we 
there, there are solutions in the works or solutions already present and, and stuff like that. But uh, I don't think you left out any of the challenges. Oh, okay. Like, I, I think that, that, you know... There wasn't that, some other thing that could kill there everybody. There wasn't. So, no yeah, sandworms you're right, yeah, Mars. The Shai Halud of Mars, right. yeah. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> you you uh, out-nerded me there. Sorry. <laughs> I got a trophy. Um, but, um, so... A lot of the so the main problems are uh, the effects of long term weightlessness right. and the effects of radiation. Those are those are the main. Those, those are the big ones for you that you think. The, in my opinion, those okay. are the big ones. Um, there's a, a, also potential psychological issues of like cramming six people into. I didn't, I didn't even talk about that. Right, but I, I think that's less of an issue because you're not just taking six random people. Right, right? you're t- or I, I say six because my fictional Marshmallowson had six, but you know. Uh, you you have a crew, you know, yeah. and you've got to cram them all in a tin can for a while. Um, I honestly think that that's all taken care of just by selecting the right people. Sure. The two biggest problems, though, are, in my opinion, radiation and gravity. You've pointed out in your video uh, a lot of the problems. Let's talk about gravity. Start uh, with gravity. Start with gravity. Um, gravity, long-term zero-g habitation, plays havoc with the human body. As you said in your video, we just... We evolved on a planet that has gravity. We just we just have it yeah. all the time, and our bodies are just not ready it's, for it's it. It's made to pump blood upwards to fight against that. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah, and our bones, you know, everything. And most of the effects of being in long-term zero-G go away in time. But exactly as you say in your video, yeah, okay, so you just spent several months in zero-G, and now you're suddenly in point four Gs, you know, on Mars. You'd just be like, thump. You can't just have a Mars mission start with, like, two weeks of recovery, right? So for me... Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, you would probably have to, like, just sit there in the ship for a while while you were getting reacted. Yeah, you'd be hopeless. Um, uh, So I honestly believe the solution is just artificial gravity. And it's not... It's not all crazy Star Trek grab plates. It's just you you put them in a ship that spins, you know? And and you you can run the math on that. All the technology is present now. It's just a matter of designing and building a spaceship that's designed to do that. You don't have to have a gigantic Arthur C. Clarke wheel in space thing. It can be two pods on the end of a very strong cable spinning around. Mm -hmm. And then you'll have, you know, gravity at the end. Even half gravity would be enough to, you know... Well, Mars, Mars gravity, for instance... So that would almost be a reacclimation period on the way to Mars. Well, in Artemis, available now in bookstores. (laughs) Check um, it out. Yeah. When when people travel to and from the moon, they're on um, cruise liners that have artificial gravity. Now, it only takes them like a week to get there, so it's not for their health. It's just because they're from Earth and they're not used to zero-G and they're tourists and stuff like that. And what the cruise liners do is they rotate, you know, to provide artificial gravity. And then they, over the course of the week to the moon, they slow down the rotation so that you very slowly transition from Earth gravity to, to um, lunar gravity. Yeah. And it's so one you're sixth, right? One sixth, yeah. yeah. And then, of course, when going back, they very slowly transition oh. you back up. So you could do a similar thing in a Mars mission. You could slowly transition the crew from 1G down to 0.4Gs, yeah. 0.39, which is Mars' surface gravity. Do you know of anybody that's working on Lots of people like are that? working on it. Absolutely. I mean, like okay. NASA's working on it. Specifically, though. I mean, there have been many centrifuge-related um, projects. NASA had designed a small centrifuge to put on ISS, but then they, they scrapped it. Um, you know, they, they only a small percentage of projects actually make it all the way through to completion and get put sure. on the station. Yeah. But that was cool. And they have made little centrifuges for like rodents and stuff for testing and stuff. Mm. You're like, I'm a mouse. I get gravity in space. You don't. <laughs> but um, so I, I, 
it's not that hard. And also, I would remind you and everybody else that we have something like 5,000 years of experience on how to build things such that they won't fall apart when there's a gravitic force on them. We oh, know how to yeah. do this. This isn't new. Where there's a consistent force in the downward direction. Notice my house isn't falling in on us. Right. And so, um, <laughs> yeah. So the problem is, of course, it adds a lot of mass. Um, there's a lot of new engineering. If your centrifuge flies apart, everybody dies. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, so a lot of problems with that. But I really do think that's the answer to that. And uh, do you I, think it's necessary? Absolutely mm -hmm. necessary in order to really, really do Mars. Yes, I think okay. it's absolutely necessary for uh, you know the early humans to Mars missions. Maybe later, when if Mars was like straight up colonized and there's millions of people living there, you can show up completely, you know, an invalid for the first couple of weeks yeah. and it, there'd be people to take care of you. Yeah. But at that point, why bother? If we have the technology to colonize Mars, I'm sure we have the technology to make spinning ships. True. Um, so I, I was going to share this with you. I, I actually saw it on the plane uh, uh, on the way up here, I think. Anyway, in the last few days, somebody shared it with me on Twitter. Uh, I don't remember the name of the guy's channel. It was a really small channel, but um, if I if I can think of it, I'll put the, the link up here. But uh, yeah, wherever it goes. Um, but no, so he like came up with this idea of the you know the SpaceX Starship platform. Oh, okay. Uh, but basically, using three different starships, uh, one in the middle that has basically like it, um, it kind of opens up and there's a truss inside that folds out mm -hmm. and connects to the other two like on the sides, like kind of hooks onto them, okay. and then they kind of turn in their opposite directions and, oh, huh. and spin like that I see. on mm. the way out there. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I've not really broken down whether something like that would work or not, but it, it, feels, like, it feels like there's a lot of failure points. That's a lot of failure points. Um, I think what is simpler, um, so there are, there are some issues with centrifuges. A lot of uh, testing has been done on the ground with them, um, just on Earth. And uh, for the most part, you're going to need you know, a couple of hundred meters of radius. The problem is, mm -hmm. if you're standing in a centrifuge, if you had like, if you were in a centrifuge that was like a 10 kilometer radius or something like that, then you would, it would be indistinguishable from gravity. Right. You. You'd just be like, whatever, everything, that all makes sense. But if you're in like a, a smaller one, that's like maybe, maybe 20 meters, right. I'd say, there is a significantly, there's a significant difference between the force at your feet and the right. force at your head. And that would, that has an effect on you. And they, I can imagine how disorienting that It's very disorienting. Yeah. And so they found out that you need to, the, about, about the, you, you need a centrifuge that provides uh, 1G at about one revolution per minute. Okay. Um, and that works out to be several hundred meters of radius. So this idea of having a single solid object that is a centrifuge, you know, with the connecting in the middle or a ring on the outside, that's a very big spaceship. Right. I mean, that's many, many, many times the mass of ISS. Yeah. But if you have, like, just two pods that are connected by a cable, that'll give you the same thing in each pod. And so if this is where the crew is and this is where other stuff is, mm -hmm. and you could also coil it up or spin it out, oh. spin up, spin down as needed, and, okay. and then you're set. And so that's, that's kind of, like, the approach that I would, that I would recommend. Um, right. Another another issue you mentioned in your uh, video is oh well it takes eight months to get to Mars it takes eight months well you were I, I talking about the about you were talking about the home and transfer window right. uh, transfer ellipse which does take about eight months um, but there are uh, lots of people working on ion engines and um, just much more efficient uh, propulsion systems that would allow us to get there much faster yeah. um, I actually calculated the orbital trajectories for Hermes for uh, for the Martian, 
and it really would it would get to Mars in about 124 days. What was the propulsion on that? Uh, Vasimir drives. Oh, okay, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, um, basically ion engines. Uh-huh. Um, now, they're, like, really, like, beefed up from what we have in reality. Right. But theoretically possible, and powered by a nuclear reactor aboard. So was was that a little bit of a leap in, like, you know, in 30 years we would probably have this technology, or is it technology we could do now, we just haven't necessarily? We theoretically could do it. Yeah. Uh, we, we don't have anything... Um, we, we don't have anything of that scale, but the technology itself is there. Yeah. So it's kind of like, oh, we can make carbon nanotubes that are this long. Can you make them 50 kilometers long? Well, I mean, if we really put our minds to yeah. it, we, yeah. yeah. Um, and, but it would require a lot of power. And I think also the idea of powering um, ion engines with solar panels is hopeless. The mass of the solar panels that you have to keep adding oh, just okay. causes problems. So I think just a nuclear reactor okay. is the best way to go. And I also touched on, and unfortunately I use the word theoretical because they have done a lot of testing on it, but the, the nuclear, thermonuclear, nuclear oh, thermal propul- propulsion. Yeah. yeah. Where the, are you, oh, oh, thermal. Not, not pulse. Oh, the, okay. The thermal. But where they heat up a gas and yeah. spit it out the back. Yeah. Hydrogen. I haven't, uh, have not done a lot of uh, research on that, um, yeah. but I assume that I, yeah. Well, they, so they did a, a program called NERVA, I forget what it stands for, but N-E-R-V-A. Uh, and yeah, they did all these tests back in the 60s and 70s. So in the video, I said that it was theoretical, and of course, I was like, "Not theoretical." <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, that looked really promising, and I'm, I'm probably I'm gonna have to follow up with the video. But again, that, but. the main problem with uh, the main problem in general with any sort of propulsion is you need reactant mass. Um, so you've got to be spitting something out of your right. spaceship in order to go forward. Um, the idea with thermal electric whatever propulsion <laughs> is. Um, that you heat up, you have lots of energy on your ship because you have a nuclear reactor. Mm-hmm. You use that to heat up a gas a lot, so it's going really fast, and then it leaves really fast. And maybe you can get it going such that it leaves faster than a chemical reaction would make it leave. Okay, so that's good, it's more efficient. But ion drives are like next level. They take atoms and they make them, they, with magnetic fields, they get them going mm-hmm. so fast that they actually gain relativistic mass. Right. <laughs> I actually, I did, a, I did a video way back on ion drives, and I was like, this is really cool stuff. It is really cool stuff. And it just looks cool. It's got that blue halo like around blue. it. Yeah. It, lo- yeah. it looks like a sci-fi guy. You wouldn't want to be in that blue halo. I imagine. Um, yeah, but, uh, <laughs> but anyway, so that's how that problem is solved now, um, or could be solved. Um, it, you can reduce the time it takes you to get there, and you can have artificial gravity. Um, radiation, though, still a very big deal. Got to talk about radiation. Got to talk about radiation. Um, and honest, it, can I just say one thing? One comment that I got a lot was like, "But when they're on Mars, Mars is the, the surface of Mars is going to shield from most of the radiation coming from the other side." I, well, they're not entirely wrong. Mars itself don't, uh, don't give them that. I'm 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 I'm, I'm sorry, <laughs> but they're not 100 percent wrong. When you're on Mars, so um, because scientists, I guess, often have nothing better to do, there was a you know, some scientists got together and wrote a, a genuine paper. Mm-hmm. on the total radiation exposure of all of the crew from the Martian. Oh, interesting. Yeah, based on, you know, estimates and, and uh-huh. stuff like that. And they found and out how dead are they? They're not. <laughs> they're not, okay. actually. Okay. They said that, um, you know, they said here are their cancer, increased cancer risks. Uh, you know, so basically this percentage chance that they're going to get some sort of cancer earlier than they would have okay. normally. And it's in the it's in like the single digit percentages. And you know the person who did best 
was Mark Watney because he got a lower radiation dose because he does at all times have Mars protecting him from half of the GCRs that are coming in. So GCRs. Oh, and the other, the rest of the crew were flying around. They were out in space the yeah, whole time, yeah, yeah. so they're getting it from all angles. Okay. And Mark's getting just half. All right. Good and, point. And uh, solar radiation um, is not that hard to block. It's the GCRs that are the problem. GCRs, for the benefit of your viewers, I know you know this, are galactic cosmic rays. Right. They're very uh, high energy protons. Usually, mm-hmm. um, they're usually ions. They, they usually don't, but they're just basically um, hydrogen ions going really, really fast, like nearly the speed of light, the result of supernovas, supernovae, from the, uh, you know, from, from other parts of the galaxy and stuff like that. And they come from all directions because they're not coming from our sun. They're coming from other stars and stuff like that. And it's solar radiation. We're talking about ions moving like 400 meters per second. You can, I mean, it's not that hard to defend against it. You can throw some mass between you and it, but GCRs, mm-hmm. and we're, we're getting a dose of them here on Earth. They, they, they can plow through our whole atmosphere and get to you. So one of the things I've found interesting, and tell me if I'm totally off on this, but um, people were talking about like the hull of the ship, you want to make it really thick to protect from the cosmic rays and stuff. But what I'd also heard was like, it, it makes it actually, worse. It makes it worse. It makes it worse. Because it actually like picks up a lot, like it, it flays out and, and spreads well, What's worse is something. Uh, yeah, no, <laughs> what happens is you've got this hydrogen a- atom, you know, uh, plowing along at nearly the speed of light. Then it hits, say, an iron atom, you know, right. in your hull because your hull is steel or something, right. right? It hits an iron atom. It hits it hard enough to break it. It does fission on that atom. Oh, so now okay. you've got like two potentially radioactive, like, you know, might, might, they might, it might turn into two isotopes of other atoms that are, have beta decay right. and just all hell breaks so loose. So it's irradiating out all kinds yeah, of it, yeah. and it. And if you look at it, you can see, you know, simulated traces of uh, GCRs. They come in like to our atmosphere and they'll hit like an oxygen or something and like crack it into yeah. a couple of borons or something. Like that, and just like, <laughs> yeah, it, it like splinters out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it's actually it actually can make it worse. Um, water is a good way to protect yourself from it. Um, so if you had your entire water supply in the hole, like a double hole system, it mm-hmm. could help. But for the most part, I honestly believe um, this is kind of a kind of the boringest answer. But I honestly believe the solution to the radiation problem in space is that humanity will eventually cure cancer. That could solve a lot of problems. Yeah, but I mean, jokes aside. <laughs> Jokes aside, my suspicion is that the space radiation problem will ultimately not be solved by anything. And I, I think we will cure cancer before we come up with a way of completely eliminating radiation for space travelers. That's, But it's because of my optimism, because I believe we will cure cancer you know, within the next hundred years. I hope so. I hope so, too. Uh, but it's like... Curing cancer is literally shorthand for this is impossible to do, or this is very, 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 very hard to do. Right, and you're, and you're saying fixing that the fixing the radiation problem is harder, possibly, well, than curing cancer. So there's one way to do it: you spend the entire GDP of Earth <laughs> on like putting lead up there, <laughs> a big, big lead ball that your crew is like hiding inside right. as it goes to Mars. But it's like, you know, what. Everything ultimately comes down to like what's economical. So the idea of having a spaceship that like flies back and forth, yay, mm-hmm. stuff like that. I think that eventually the cure for cancer is going to be how we deal with space radiation. Are there any um... or like super early detection of cancer? It's like, oh yeah, no, you got cancer, but it's it's just like you know four cells right now, so we're going to take yeah. it out. You know, 
I get, I get, uh, I get, I get so mad that we don't already have something like that. It's one of those things that seems so easy, but yeah. is so hard. It's kind of yeah. like um, uh, uh, type one diabetes. You know, type yeah. one diabetes is like okay, the pancreas doesn't correctly produce insulin, but we can make insulin, so you can have an insulin pump, yeah. and you can have a probe in the body that detects your blood sugar levels. Shouldn't you just be able to take care of it? Yeah. Can't you just make an artificial pancreas? I mean, it shouldn't. That, that should be like one of the simplest things. You find out when they need insulin, give them insulin. What's the problem? Like tens of thousands of people have been working on this for yeah. decades and they haven't got it yet. It's very hard there. Oftentimes the things that are simplest to phrase in science are the hardest to do. Yeah, that's a good point. So, okay, so the other thing that I talked about in the video and I actually thought about it after I reached out to you, I was like, oh, I kind of, poked at him a little bit in this, didn't I? But the perchlorates thing. Oh yeah, um, so um, yeah, uh, so at the time I wrote The Martian, we, uh, we didn't even know, yeah, we, that's, humanity. That's pretty recent. Didn't even know about yeah. perchlorates, that came from uh, uh, curiosity. Yeah. Um, couple things, uh, Mark, my friend Mark Watney would have been just fine. Okay. Uh, perchlorates are bad for you, but it's like smoking is bad for you. It's not like cyanide is bad for you. Right. So Mark, in that desperate situation, eating the perchlorates, he's like kind of poisoning himself a little bit, but it's not great. Um, second off, perchlorates are water-soluble. So if you find and have a ready supply of water, you can basically rinse oh, the soil okay. before you use it for growing stuff. So, oh, okay. So it's not that... It's not that huge a deal. Yeah. Um, but yes, um, they are an issue. They're there. They're a bunch of salts. They're nasty. Yeah. Um, but uh, so since we know now that Mars has like tons of water ice trapped in trapped in this in the regolith there, you could um, one of the first things you do is like you collect a lot of water. So you go get a bunch of regolith, melt out the water, steam it out, boil it, distill it, and now you have like distilled water. Yeah. And you can use that water to rinse out some Martian soil right. for growing crops if you wanted. Okay, that's cool. I guess the way I was looking at it was like, um, there's just the trouble with the dust getting everywhere. Oh, yeah, and, that's and for like sure. getting in your eyes and corrosive, yeah. you know, well, that's effects where, and stuff like that. That's where a lot of people think that the kind of the Russian approach is good, where they have what, uh, the chrysalis spacesuits. The chrysalis spacesuits. Okay. So a chrysalis spacesuit is the kind where you open a hatch in the back and then you get right. in. So it stays outside the entire yeah. time. And yeah. so ultimately you kind of like shimmy up to an airlock and... Uh-huh. And then you get out of your suit into the, so so we're all cicadas at that point. Yeah, basically, there's <laughs> never uh, you, you, you don't uh, have more or less. So you you don't have to bring all that nasty mm-hmm. stuff in. That having been said, there's ways to ameliorate dust and stuff. It's mm-hmm. just like the the lunar astronauts, for instance, the Apollo astronauts. They had they were breathing that stuff left and right. And I'm sure it was really unpleasant for them. And it's also particularly bad on the moon because they're little sharp, jagged rocks right. that haven't been weathered. On yeah. Mars, they'd be weathered at least. But um, uh, in a more kind of more advanced setting where you have like a base that's like there permanently and stuff like that, you could have like a system that washes you before you get out of your suit, right? It could yeah. spray you with water. It could rinse you down. You could you could have a you could you could basically um, take a shower in your spacesuit, and then that gets all the Hopefully yeah. the dust and the crap and stuff out of the way, and then. So I imagine keeping the dust out of the habitats is going to be a major. That would be yeah. Either a major design challenge or just a major like part of living there is just constantly cleaning and right. keeping things. Also, um, you know, you you you've got to ask yourself how often do you need to go out onto the terrain in an EVA suit? 
Okay. Right. So for instance, imagine you have a nice big rover, right? Gotcha. And that just has a hatch that connects to the mm. to your hab. And then you go into the rover and then you drive around and then yeah. you go back and connect again. And you're never bringing in dust. Right. Yeah. And with robotics, there's probably a lot that they could do without even having to get out of there. Yeah. Um, so another thing that I've always, you know, it's fun to imagine people walking around on Mars and stuff like that. But I honestly think the first substantive um, Mars mission with humans involved will be humans in orbit controlling robots on the ground. Oh, because okay. then you have a negligible uh, communication time. Okay. The thing is, you, if, there was, if there was no transmission time between here and Mars, it would be a lot easier to explore because you'd just be right. remote controlling stuff. So you could have humans in orbit just doing real-time controls of robots. Mm-hmm. And then it's controlled by a human brain. And that's really the best thing. And I always wonder if there would be, uh, for the same reason, like, kind of like what they did on Apollo. They have some people up in orbit and some people on the ground. Yeah, one guy up in orbit. Yeah. yeah. So at least there's somebody up in orbit they could communicate with. And Right, but they were also, communi- I mean, the reason he was up in orbit, the CSM pilot was up in orbit, was to make sure that they could dock sure. again yeah. after, after I'm just saying, like... Same sort of idea with there's a guy up in orbit and there's people on the ground. Sure, sure. Well, if you have people on the ground, they could also control the robots as well. What I'm talking about is I think the first significant mission to Mars that involves humans would be the humans will just go to orbit. Mm -hmm. And I'd also think it would be good to just litter Mars with little rovers. And then it's like, oh, yeah, about 20% of them didn't make it, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) There's another rover. Yeah, we'll, we'll find another one. Uh, okay, so what else we got here? Uh, I kind of, I didn't really touch on this too much in the video, but the temperature swings on Mars, yeah, does that you, cause you, problems with materials? Um, so the temperature swings could conceivably be an issue, but not too bad. I mean, yeah, the outside of your habitat, the outside of the things that need to be warm on the inside, they, that would have to be made of a material that could handle that. Mm. But it's about, it's actually not that, huge a swing it's on the order of 100 celsius you know you go from zero to minus 100 uh-huh. roughly uh throughout yeah. the course of a day i mean that's a lot if you think about it in terms of like you being outside but it's not a lot if you think of like laboratory settings or you know 100 degrees celsius i mean is you know your stove gets a larger temperature yeah. change than that and it's designed to handle it and, and i guess the space station is probably uh it does also apollo had that um the apollo the rotisserie roll yep mm-hmm. they had to... i met the guy that came up with that oh cool yeah pretty cool i am cool you are cool uh <laughs> so it's not it's not that big of an issue uh, yeah. i don't think the the temperature extremes are yeah. that, i mean compared to all the other stuff <laughs> temperature extremes are really kind of minor going back just a second you you call the the uh martian soil regolith is that that is the technical I, term i know that's what they use for the moon but is that what they use for mars too technically soil is only soil dirt <laughs> stuff like that is only for stuff from earth technically so oh, okay. technically, if you pick up some dirt off of Mars, that is regolith. And okay. I mean, in, in the Martian, he calls it dirt, soil, whatever, all the time. Yeah. And I got, you know, people telling me I'm wrong. I'm like, okay, yeah, you know, I am wrong. It's true. Yeah. But I, I, I actually feel bad when I'm wrong on things that are scientific. Uh, I don't feel that bad when I'm wrong on things that are taxonomy. Right. <laughs> well, and, and to be honest, I think... Uh, regolith is more syllables than soil. Yeah. And so somebody's probably going to just default to soil because everybody knows what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, yeah. also, I mean, we have our, our generation, at least, and probably the one before, 
just grown up with the notion that regolith means moon rock. Yeah. Well, that, exactly. Yeah. I, I didn't know if that was specific to the moon or... Yeah, it's everything. Okay. Technically, like, you know, if you pick up a rock on Titan, that's regolith. Fair enough. So you just next time you're on Titan yeah. and you're like, hey. <laughs> when, when I fly my quadcopter down, which they're working on, which is really Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's exciting. Yeah, very cool. Uh, I think the last thing, we already talked a little bit about getting reacclimated on Mars. Yeah, well, my, my solution to that is you never get unacclimated. You, you, on, on the way there. Yeah, yeah. My, my, my answer to that is yeah. you, you stay in gravity the whole way there. So the other one was, uh, and I, I found this fascinating ever since I first heard about it, was the cardiovascular issues that apparently the Apollo uh, astronauts faced. They just had a higher incidence of cardiovascular issues, yeah. and they don't know why, and they think it might be because of the deep space radiation. So I can't help you there because I learned that from your video. <laughs> so that was the first time I'd heard of that. Yeah. Ah, but they did almost all, almost all of the Apollo astronauts, everybody who left Earth's you know, the, the 24 people right. who have left Earth's magnetic field, um, almost all of them got cataracts early in life. Oh, okay. Same kind of deal. Apparently. Huh. Apparently, you get cataracts if you go out too far. Well, this one A lot study, of them got cancer, too, you know, later. Yeah, well... Or, you know... Yeah. That, that study that I was looking at, I thought it was interesting because they were comparing not just... So they're, they're like basically three different uh, segments they were looking at. There were astronauts that never actually went up into space but mm -hmm. trained as astronauts. Uh, and then the astronauts went up to low Earth orbit, which is, there's a lot of them now, and then there was those 24, yeah. which is an incredibly small sample size. A small data set. But, yeah. uh, so, I mean, that's why I'm kind of a little bit of with a grain of salt on that, because it's just so small, but... Uh, Could be. The, yeah. But one of the things was, like, there were um, lab rats that they were blasting with cosmic rays, and they saw similar... Oh, yeah, I saw that. Again, all my information comes yeah. from your video, right. so <laughs> I don't have anything to add. Uh, I guess, like, yeah, it hit them way later, but also they were only up there for two weeks. Yeah, and, you know? yeah, so, but also they're from, you know, who knows, they're all from a, the same generation right? of people who, like, grew up smoking, yeah. and, and, you know, what is it, I, I found there are three people in history, I, I don't have any of their names, two, 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 two Russians and one American, there are three people in history who both served in World War II and went into space. So there are three human beings who have shot Nazis and gone to space. And they were probably launched up there by Nazis that were... No, well... I mean, <laughs> well, two of them were Soviets. Oh, okay. Uh, two of them were like Soviet airmen, and one of them was like a U.S. Uh, Air Force uh, astronaut. I remember. I only found three who, who were active duty military combatants in the European theater wow. during World War II and then later went into space. And I'm like... So that is an interesting overlap of like, yeah. you know, shot Nazis went into space. What you got? Right. What do you got? I shot Nazis <laughs> and I went into space. Just saying. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> I stumped my toe on a Lego the other day. Yeah. I got no stories. Like, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of hard to beat that those that guy's story. Any yeah. any astronaut story, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. But Pretty especially cool. a Nazi killing. Nazi astronaut. killing astronaut. Yeah. And they exist. Um, well, not it? anymore, I think. Yeah, probably not anymore. Yeah. Uh, Brian Regan, this comedian, he had, uh, it's called Footprints on, no. Never mind, I'm getting him confused with somebody else. But he had, yeah, but he, yeah thank you. <laughs> no, he has, a, he has a bit where he talks about like being at a dinner party with a guy who went to the moon. Yeah. And this guy's like, oh yeah, I'm driving my fast car down the Autobahn. And, da, 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 da. and he's just sitting there like. <laughs> 
I walked on the moon. <laughs> so I remember when I was driving the lunar rover across the sea of tranquility. So I know you're, I know you're just trying to have fun here, Joe. But um, none of the, none of the Apollo missions that went, you know, Apollo Eleven didn't have a lunar rover. And that was the only one of the sea of tranquility. Yeah, yeah, well, just, I'm gonna have to call Brian Regan and tell him he was yeah, wrong about that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just saying. I mean, inaccurate fun is not fun, Joe. Okay, sorry. Okay, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Mandatory fun with accuracy. Mandatory fun time. <laughs> so let's talk about Artemis for just a second. So sure. how mad are you that NASA stole those? No. Um, you know, it's funny. I mean, how it, funny is that, though? It is funny, but it's also kind of, they picked the name Artemis for the same reason I did. Um, Artemis is the Greek goddess right. of the moon, among other things. And also she's Apollo's twin sister. Mm-hmm. So, so it really I, fits. I had said that somewhere, and in the comments, people were like, well, duh, you know, for that very reason. But I'm like, but still, they could have picked anything in the world, and it wound up being the same one. That's, it's cool. That's well, I, and, and again, the, it, there's an artistic reason to it. It evokes imagery of the Apollo program. It makes you think yeah, of Apollo, yeah. Artemis and Apollo, right? Fair enough, yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah. So your concept was the uh, Artemis is a moon base for city. A city, yeah. On uh, like near the Apollo Eleven. Yeah, about landing. forty kilometers away from. Right. So it's more of a tourist destination. That's that's their primary. But they also have this like aluminum smelting that creates oxygen and does that whole thing. So is it um, just think kind of thinking in terms of like the book, but also like what a moon base would actually do? Well, um, yeah. My my general idea is. Taking a few steps back, sure. we'll never have a city anywhere unless, you know, on the moon, on Mars, anywhere, unless there's an economic reason. Right. Cities don't just happen. There's always some economic reason for them. And so for Artemis, my explanation was tourism. So that's how money enters the system. Everything else that happens on Artemis is just there to service Artemis itself. Mm-hmm. So there is, yeah, there's a smelting industry that <clears throat> takes local ore and smelts it into aluminum with which they can build more Artemis. Mm-hmm. But that's not... That doesn't bring money into the system. They're not exporting aluminum or anything like that. That would be hideously inefficient, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, right? So they're not doing that. Um, smelting has the pleasant side effect of making oxygen for yeah. people to breathe, so that's awesome. But all of that is just to service the existence of the city itself. The money enters the system via tourists, and that's why they built it so close to the Apollo 11 landing site. Because mm-hmm. if you're a tourist going to the moon, that's probably the you, that's probably what you're going to want to see. Yeah. So. Uh, I did not know about the fact that you could make oxygen from the lunar regolith until I read your book, and I was like, that's amazing. Um, A huge amount of oxygen on the moon. That's nuts. I've always said it's like the moon is made out of moon bases with just some assembly required. Seriously, it's like... (laughs) I love that. That's great. If I... I, I've often said, um, if if I wrote a book... Well, let's say we, we as a species, evolved on a planet that had no moon, whatever, right? right? And I wrote a book about some alien, weird species that, you know, descended from apes of all things. And they lived on a planet. And in orbit around their planet was another smaller planet that was, like, made out of, like, a whole bunch of resources. And it was just, like, a really quick trip there and a stepping stone to the rest of the... Like, if that's... If I wrote that as fiction, like, people would be like, that is just... You're making it too easy on them. You're making it too easy on this on this race of like monkey people that 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 they, they just get this thing that's right, like right there a tiny little gravity well that they can easily leave whenever they want no atmosphere in the way all the resources they can want literally everything you need to make a rocket fuel yeah because you can make an aluminum monopropellant 
Um, if you smelt aluminum, turn it into aluminum powder, and then you have the oxygen left over from the smelting, put them together, that's what a solid rocket booster basically is, is but aluminum and oxygen. How do you learn this stuff? The internet. I learned most of it. I learned most of my science things from brilliant.org. <laughs> <laughs> this interview brought to you by... Uh, it no, might be, I, actually. I, I look it up. I, you know, I'm, I'm curious. I, the most fun part for me uh, of writing Artemis was... Oh, make me a moon base. I'll come up with a story to take place in a lair. I'm going to make sure. a moon city, yeah. and I want to figure out how to make that happen. But see, this is what, um, okay, kind of going back to the whole creative thing here. Mm -hmm. Like, there's probably a million people who have had the thought of creating a moon base or something. Just like in passing while they're raking the leaves somewhere, <laughs> the thought crosses their mind. Most of them don't spend years figuring out how to, like, get oxygen out of the soil of the moon. And, you know, like... <laughs> Uh, there, there's something in you and people like you. I, I would love to count myself. Nerds. I would love to count myself in that group, but maybe not quite as much. But who the fleeting huh thought turns into? Oh, I have to find the answer to this, no matter what. I think know? it's. I think it's just a matter of what you're interested in. You know, um, if you're, you know, I've had fleeting thoughts about like, oh, a sports car that could go to whatever. But then some gearhead, you know, auto freak guy would be like, oh, wait, I sure. think if I could increase the displacement of the... But all those cars are going to go away soon, Joe. I've seen your videos. Oh, maybe. We'll see. <laughs> but um, I think it's just a matter of interest. I'm interested in it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's as simple as that. Um, and so it, it, it keeps me like looking for information. I'm like, well, the moon's made of something. Is there anything there that we can use? Turns out, yeah, a whole bunch. Yeah. And then I'm like, okay, so how could I, how could I break apart anorthite? Anorthite is the thing. Yeah, yeah. It's like 85% of the rocks on the surface in the highlands, um, which is the bumpy parts as right. opposed to the maria. Uh, it's anorthite. And I'm like, okay, so what's anorthite made of? Aluminum, oxygen, silicon, and calcium. Well, that seems nice. Aluminum and oxygen, anyway. <laughs> um, okay, well, how would you get it? And I'm like, well, so you're, you're talking about turning rocks back into their base elements. That's going to take a lot of energy. Okay, so you have reactors. Okay, but how do you get it? What, what is the process? And I found out somebody invented it. it the, the FFC Cambridge process. It's yeah. a real thing. Yeah. And it was invented in like the 1990s. So it's, it's kind of recent-ish. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Um, and especially with those guys that are working on the film for Artemis. Like, I can't wait to see one six gravity action sequences. I think that's going to be super cool. I, you know, I hope they, I hope the movie gets greenlighted and stuff like that yeah. for lots of selfish reasons. But that's also, yeah, it'll be really awesome. And, and Lord Miller have, have been very clear. They, they want to really show one six G that that's one of the big challenges yeah. of the movie is yeah. that everything's got to be one six G. Yeah. Like just people walking, you know, uh, they, they want to do it live action though, right? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Okay. Because they've done a lot of animation. So yeah, yeah, no, this is live that would action. make it easy. <laughs> that would be easier. <laughs> uh, so I would like to give you a chance to talk about uh, Cheshire Crossing. Oh, <laughs> which which I have not had a chance to, to read yet. But I, um, that's I fine. You're dead to me, but that's fine. Okay. Um, no, uh, Cheshire Crossing. Is a, yeah. <laughs> uh, Cheshire Crossing is a uh, a web comic that I made before uh, The Martian. Before uh, oh, it yeah, The Martian. Oh, yeah, okay. I, I drew it myself originally. Uh, <laughs> that is not the version that uh, that's for sale now. I am a terrible artist. I knew that at the time. Yeah. It didn't keep me from drawing. I was just like, <laughs> yeah, I suck. Whatever. Uh. Um, but um, so I wrote this comic that it's um, basically it's a crossover comic where um, Alice from Alice in Wonderland, Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz and Wendy from Peter Pan 
have all grown up a little bit. They're all teenagers now um, uh, after their adventures. This takes place in like 1910. Mm -hmm. And they've all been brought to this place in England called Cheshire Crossing to be studied by Ernest Rutherford. Uh, oh, the, yeah. the Ernest Rutherford. Yeah, the Ernest Rutherford. Yeah, and he's like, and they've been in and out of like insane asylums and stuff their whole lives because nobody believes in and stuff like that. But he does, and he knows they can go to other worlds. And then, kind of out, they all they have very different personalities. Alice is really moody and grumpy. Dorothy is a little naive, and and um, but also extremely intelligent. And then um, Wendy is a tomboy, kind of ready to tussle and sword fight and mm -hmm. stuff. And um, then like. Alice just wants to escape Cheshire Crossing, and she takes uh, Dorothy's silver slippers because that's what they are in the book, oh. and like uses them to go to Oz to get away. And they chase her, and, and so they all end up in each other's worlds with each other's villains, and a lot of fun. Anyway, um, my art <laughs> sucks, and so um, once I got all famousy and stuff, then um, they, they they came and said like, "Hey, we should make you know a print release of this comic, but you know with." competent artist you know drawing it and so that's where sarah anderson uh mm. does does the art for cheshire crossing and she's sarah anderson of sarah's scribbles which is a very popular comic right. yeah and so that that was really cool so i'm like sure this thing i wrote like 10 years ago you want to just throw <laughs> some money at it? yeah okay yeah let's just resurrect that one uh so i mean in that case you already had it all written and even like sketched out and everything and she mm -hmm. was able to just like make it look yeah, yeah. And, and give it real art. Yeah. yeah, okay. So it wasn't so much a you writing it together with her. It was like kind of a two-step. Correct. Yeah, I mean, I had written it like 10 years ago. Yeah. And if, uh, you know, if it's popular and, you know, if it does well and sells well and they want more, then we'd probably be collaborative on the writing. I don't know. Sure, yeah. yeah. I don't know how much time she has to put in. She's got her own stuff going on, you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I asked because I have a, a script that I wrote a while back, and I've always thought, that might actually make a really good graphic novel. Hmm. Uh, but I just I know nothing about that or how to even start it. Or... I mean, if, if you really wanted to, my recommendation would be um, sketch it out as stick figures yeah. and then hire an artist. Yeah. Well, maybe someday. Maybe. I would like to hear about your your work schedule. So I've heard that I've heard you in other interviews say that you just uh, you have a set number of words that you got to get through every day. Mm -hmm. Uh, what is that number? Uh, it's a thousand. I try to make. I try okay. to write a thousand words a day, um, just weekdays. So Isn't actually, it two or three pages. Yeah, yeah, two or three pages a day. Um, uh, and I don't have to do that on weekends. So what I actually do is I set myself a goal of five thousand words a week. Oh, okay, yeah. So you know, on Monday, if I write like twelve hundred words, I'm just helping myself out. You know, sure. I, I'm like, so I didn't want to set up a system that encourage me to stop writing, uh -huh. you know, when I've got good flow. Uh -huh. um, you know, sometimes I make it, sometimes I don't. Um, you know, it's a self do you, have a, do you have a punishment if you uh, don't? Basically, like, self-loathing. <laughs> 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 good old self-loathing. Yes. Yeah. Gets you out of bed in the morning. Um, but, yeah, and, and that works out well. I mean, I'm rapidly approaching the deadline for the, uh, for the first draft. Of the book I'm on right now. Uh -huh. As of when we're filming this, I, I'm about 67,000 words in. I'm uh, kind of nearing the, eh, not near, I mean, I'm kind of in the middle of the second act. Mm -hmm. you know, but you don't have, is that a deadline from the publisher? Yes. Okay. In a contract, in writing. Sure, sign, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I gotta, gotta, to gotta make that those. happen. Yeah. Well, that was why I, I started doing the one video a week thing on my channel was like just, just having that, that regular deadline mm -hmm. and forcing myself to do it. Um, it, it, helped, it caused me to start getting more efficient about doing it, and mm -hmm. it kind of helped develop the style as all around that. But 
uh, I, I mean, I, yeah, I, I have to have a deadline or else it just will remain on the back burner. You know? Well, I have a lot of hobbies that are not writing. And um, right. so I, I, I like woodworking. Like I've got a whole, uh, I'll show it to you when we're done. Yeah. I've got the, the entire garage is my woodworking show. Nice. Like my poor wife, she has, she has to park out there. You're yeah. like Ron Swanson back there. Well, not, not as skilled as he is, but like I. I <laughs> you I, got a big yeah. canoe in the middle of the room? No, no, no canoe just quite yet, no. Uh, I'm definitely a kind of beginner to in intermediate level woodworker, but I really enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And um, also, you know, when you, I'm sure you encounter this, when you really have to write, that's when your house gets sparkling clean. That's mm -hmm. when your, <laughs> your office gets very yeah. neatly and organized. You'll do anything yeah. to convince yourself, oh, I'm being productive. Suddenly it's like, I need to make sure that my pins are, you know, arranged oh, by I'm, color. Yeah, and, right. Uh, yeah. And ink. And, and ink, ink remaining ink. <laughs> I haven't done that one, but actually, this one's getting kind of low. Oh yeah, well you better next time. Oh, you, okay, we're good. We're next good. time you're uh, writing a video, you know, make sure that one gets filed properly. <laughs> right. Well, I I literally I'd written down these little notes before I came over here, and I was like, I have to make sure I grab the blue pen because the notes are in the blue pen. Okay. And if I do it in the black pen, it's just going to it just me it'll up. just ruin everything. Yeah, I won't be able to read you my writing. Won't even. You won't even post the video, honestly. It's just it'll just ruin everything. <laughs> no, I uh, I've been you know I worked in, in a cubicle job for twelve years, doing creative stuff. I was an uh, advertising copywriter, which is fine. But um, you know when I went full time on YouTube, it was like suddenly you're just in control of all your time. I've never had that before in my life. Yeah. And uh, I think I'm getting better at it, but it's still, it, it, there's still a lot of up till three in the morning cranking something out because I have to get it written tonight because I have to shoot it tomorrow because yeah. if I don't, then I'll miss this and that. And actually the, the video that came out on Monday, um, uh, well, actually, no, the, the video is coming out this Monday. It's okay. coming Monday. The, as of when we're filming this. As of when we're filming The most this. recent video was Cryptids. Yeah. Uh, this is a Monday video. See, I watch so. your channel, man. I know, I know. it's weird. <laughs> Super weird. Uh, but <laughs> actually, it's really weird when my friends watch my channel. Uh, because I, I get together and I'm like, hey, in that video today, it's like, oh, crap. Oh, that's that's <laughs> oh, that's right. People actually see this thing that I do. You know, it's funny, is my friends don't read my books. I got like one of my best friends is, is this guy, and he's like, so when do they make an Artemis in a movie? I really want to see what it's about. <laughs> I can't wait to just sit there and passively watch. He watched thing. The Martian. You didn't read it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know you're pretty happy with the adaptation. Yeah, yeah, really happy. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I will echo what everybody else says: is that like you just get so technical in the book, and somehow that's the magic. Maybe of, but... of the fact that he he spends like so like page after page after page figuring out like the the creating the hydrazine out of the or getting out water, water from hydrazine. From hydrazine, yeah. Um, I think just the, the sciencing the shit out of things <laughs> is so yeah. amped up in the book. Um, and, and it's not to say they didn't get that across in the film. It's just how can you? you yeah, know? it would, it's it would have been a really boring film if they had. Well, but I'm, I'm just saying like logic would say it would be a boring book, but it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, you know? I know. I still, that, like I said, I still like, don't know what I did right. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I got nothing. Well, you did it right in Artemis too, so you... Well, I, I, so. I, I think so. Anyway. Well, thank you. Um, oh, another little technical thing in Artemis I thought was interesting was the way, uh, and I'm going to butcher this because it's been a while, but um, something about the static, about the fact that uh, when she was outside and doing something and the dust sticks to everything yeah. in a certain way because it's so there's, there's no moisture, so there's, it's all static. There's nothing yeah. to remove static charge. Right. So 
the bottom part of every bubble is like that's got like moon dust just stuck to it. Yeah. It's static. Yeah. And wasn't there something in, in the story that they used to sort of counteract that? Uh, oh, okay. I know what you're talking about. In the air inside the city, they add water. They add humidity. Humidity. Oh, yeah. Okay. Artificial. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but in the interstitial space between the double-hulled system that is the bubble, they just have crushed lunar regolith. And it's completely dry to the point that she got a bunch of like static shocks and stuff. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. 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 Exactly. But see, stuff like that, that, I love that. Stuff that I just would not have thought of. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, this is, this is actually something that would that's, really screw this person up. That's the most yeah. fun for me when I think like, oh, I don't think anybody's thought of this. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's, yeah. That's, when I, that's when I really have fun. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. What, what is it like? Um, create a character everybody falls in love with and then torture them. Yeah. And then put them through hell. Yep. That's, that's yep. what storytelling is. That's, that's the thing. Well, um, all right, well, I'll, just, I'll just do a little wrap-up thing. Um, sure. Dude. Thank you so much. This is easily the coolest thing I've gotten to do on my channel. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, thanks. I, this is this is awesome. I, 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 for me, it was really easy. I'm. This is my house. I just had to sit here. <laughs> you come by and talk to me. Here's sure. Like, I put a hat on. We're good. Yeah. Uh, no, I. Uh, um, I don't know whose life I'm living anymore. That's like where things are on my channel right now. I'm just like, how do I get to do these things? I just enjoy the ride, man. I'm trying. To. I, you know, I had the same experience when I went from, you know, cubicle dweller, computer programmer to. To being a writer, I was just like, really? Oh, okay. <laughs> and I also ran into the same problem. It's like used to be I was a software engineer. And by the way, I was really happy as a cubicle dweller. I kept my job longer than I needed to. I mean, <laughs> The Martian was already on the bestseller list, and I was still at work. Oh, how funny. And I would be like fixing bugs, then running off to take calls about my movie deal, then back to wow. fixing it. Yeah. But um, yeah, and I really miss, actually what I miss most of all is being part of a team. Mm-hmm. I miss, mm-hmm. I really miss being like, you know, I was on a project with like seven or eight other engineers and we, you know, we meet, we talk, we do this. Okay, you take care of this. I'll take care of that. Oh, I'll fix this. You, you get that. Oh, I think we should design it this way. No, you think it's that way. Oh, well, I think you're right, actually. You know, I miss all of that. Now, yeah. I, by myself, in my office, you know. Yeah. So. It's, it, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you because like, you know, that was also one of the biggest frustrations when I worked mm. in that in that position and, and then I, uh, I go off and now I'm on my own and it's, yeah, there's a lot of just sitting around by yourself and, mm-hmm. and you, you start to sort of miss being around people. I start to worry that I don't know how to talk to people anymore, <laughs> you know, unless well, they're I mean, a dog. I mean, well, I mean, we're both married, so at least we both have, like, <laughs> yeah. someone else in the house to talk yeah. to. I've spent my entire life riddled with anxiety, but I've never had a problem with public speaking. Oh, okay. And that's, like, the most common that's phobia, like, out of everything. People, on average, fear public speaking more than they fear death. More than death, yeah. Yeah, they would rather be, was it you that? I, am I stealing this line from you? I don't think so, but I've heard that before. Yeah, where okay. they would they would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way of putting it.